you know, as we discussed there, we weren't really going to plan what we're going to talk about. We're just going to uh, talk about it. And I was actually on my way over here trying to consciously drain my mind of any presupposed topic. But I started thinking about, um, just because there's been a lot of them, I started thinking about the shootings recently and trying to think about what triggers something like that in a human being because it seems to be a phenomenon that's different than it being motivated from any real source, it just seems like some the flip is switched, like the Manchurian candidate in somebody's mind. And I think a lot of people are trying to find out what that is, what what is causing that, so we can look at the root of that. And so I'm just curious as to where your mind goes when something like that occurs uh, in human life. Well, it's always painful. It's so funny you're asking this question. I was thinking about it this weekend myself. I mean, on one level, it, they've done studies where whether it's with suicide or with these kinds of uh, horrendous actions where people get permission. When one person does it, they snap, and people read about it or hear about it. People actually get permission. So there's something that happens in the gestalt where people feel permission to act out like that. On another level, people murdering each other is business as usual. I mean, we've been doing this for thousands of years. This is nothing new when you just go back through history. Just the armaments are so, the technology is such right now that you can actually do it so much more efficiently and quickly without thinking. Um, it all links down to level of disconnection. It all really links down to the fact that we are so hyper-individuated and we feel so separate from the whole or the reality is that we really are all one. I mean, that's not some cute new agey thing. So the more we move towards that understanding, the less things, these things will happen. The more individuated we get, the more it's us against them, I against the world. And that leads to fear, and fear leads to violence. So these kinds of horrendous acts, is really, you know, there's fear and love. It's that basic thing. And most of us actually function out of fear. And it's very similar to me, I was thinking about this Batman thing, and people were like, how horrendous, and it's crazy. I mean, of course it's crazy. And of course it's insane that we can go buy automatic weapons. But no one really seems to understand that that movie is one of the most violent movies. People really don't understand that we're steeped in a culture of violence. You know, these video games, I mean, it's become norm for us now. So there's a whole piece there, too, where violence is such a part of our culture. Yeah. And it's our gestalt for the past 200 years. I mean, we wiped out the red man, and then we enslaved the black man, and then the Irish, the Italians. I mean, that's our culture. I mean, that's not just America. That's world culture. Yeah. What is the... What do you think that urge is, though, to end another's life? Where does that factor in with everything else that we know about how human beings think and operate? When... Because I, I simply don't understand it. I, like, it, it, it doesn't make intellectual sense to me. And I've been trying to, and maybe it's not something to be in intellectually understood. Well, let's explain to the listeners what you do. So you are a writer. You're a playwright. You write. So you spend, and this is such an interesting thing, this is something I love about you, is that you spend your whole life putting yourself in different circumstances, living in different cities, live, doing different jobs, to really understand human nature which is why your writing is so powerful. Remember that someone is acting like that is actually not coming from that kind of insight. I mean, your whole life is based on having insight. Someone like that is so shut down. 
I mean, when I used to work in the South Bronx with people who had come out of prison, who had done violent things, you know, there was always violence done. Violence begets violence. This is not like someone wakes up one day and just snaps, although that does happen. This is really linked to a whole level of being checked out and not connected. That's what I mean about that piece where we're so disconnected now. So from the second we wake up, right, the music goes on, the TV goes on, the radio goes on. We're never connected with ourselves. So you're asking the question. It's not just an intellectual question. You're asking the question from a place of connecting with an emotional part of yourself, like how do you end another life? Someone like that is the walking dead. You know, we are the walking dead on so many levels, so we don't have that level of connection. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, there's this proliferation of literature about zombies these days, and I, it, it dawned on me thinking about the... I was thinking about the Tea Party, the Aurora shootings, uh, the, you know, and all of the shootings that have happened over this summer that seem to sort of link back to this guy Brevik as well, who just got sentenced. And just thinking about how I think about... I used to travel across the country a lot. I used to go often, like every year or so, um, every year, two years, I'd find a way to get a car usually through this service that you would drive a rich person's car across the country. Like, so I'd be, you'd be driving like a, you know, a nice Audi, you know, through North Dakota. And progressively over the course of the last 10 years, the quality of the towns that I would go to and the places and the people that I would see, it started to remind me of a zombie infection. There's this, like you said, there's this checked out quality. There's, um, with constant noise um, coming from everywhere, which Kundera sort of talked about really early on in, like, in the 60s in Unbearable Lightness, where he was like, there's music everywhere, but none of it is good and none of it is giving us any, any information. To constant imagery, if you're, if you're a 7-Eleven worker, which is exact same 7-Elevens all across the country, there's the same news feed that is basically an ad aggregating machine that occurs over you know a 15-minute cycle, and the, everything looks the same, subways and the and the McDonald's everywhere. Everyone has the same variation. And so there's. I've stopped wanting to drive outside of cities. I've, I've completely changed my, my thinking in terms of who I want to be around because I don't want to be around the zombies. And I don't want to be around... I think that it's infectious. I think that, that that's what we're seeing in isolated communities in, that, are, that are isolated from each other but have the whole world available to them. So someone can become a Brevik in their basement or in their second floor apartment like this, you know, like this guy doing the Aurora shootings. Is that, yeah, people are sort of becoming zombies. So, beautiful point there. I mean, that actually really always blows my mind when I walk down the street in the subway or seeing all these posters for vampires and seeing all these posters for um, these movies that are going around. So, the proliferation of that is really an externalization of the gestalt, right? That we have become that. Except the zombie thing isn't people walking around eating brains. It's the iPhone in the hand all the time. It's the constant iPod in the ear all the time. It's that level of disconnection. As to your point of traveling cross-country, I totally relate with you. I mean, that's the disease of corporations. That's a disease where corporations actually kill culture. I remember going cross-country on a motorcycle, I think, 82, 83, and... You know, I've traveled around the world. I was raised all around the world. It blew my mind. I mean, to travel somewhere 3,000 miles from one coast to another. I mean, you're crossing continents in different parts of the world and going through countries. To be in the same country and roll up and see the same gas station, the same. And this was, like, way before 
things had grown as much as now. So what you're saying is very true. So part of this disconnection, I think, too, is connected to a lack of true culture because it's a culture of consumption, and that actually starves us. So part of these acts are actually desperate acts of connection from a place of starvation. These are not some cute intellectual phenomena. These are actual phenomena. People like Young, these people actually connected how the inside and outside are linked. The part one has to really be careful with, or my own practice is, I really work on it not being us against them. I do agree with you. I do feel this thing of I actually go places and it feels dead to me and I don't want to stay there. But I have to be very careful with my own consciousness not to go into, like, those zombies because that's a part of myself that's a zombie. So when I see someone like that, I go into myself. I was a very violent man in my early teens. To me, it's not like, wow, how did a guy do that? I actually understand. I've been hurt. I've hurt people. It's a level of disconnection. So I am always very careful not to go into a place of judgment with it. I don't have to like these people. I have to love them. Because that's an aspect of myself that I've disowned. So when I see someone like that, to me, it doesn't blow my mind. I mean, it breaks my heart. But I can see it. I see it every day. I've been a clinician 30 years. I see how we're all checked out at some point. So that's the practice of meditation, writing, reading, ways to actually check in. Because that's the only way that we can, the only hope really, to me at this point, is in politics, isn't banning guns, although that can be helpful, obviously, blah, blah, blah. It's really about, like, where are we at? We're total strangers to ourselves, and out of that, total strangers to everyone around us. That's how we can murder someone in that kind of cold blood, or 76 people in Norway. We're, we're checked out. Yeah. yeah. I try to think of ways to practically engage it as well, because the part that I, and I think a lot of people have a hard time with, is that in my, in my mind... Um, I can deal with hatred, but in the moment, I can't, and I don't think a lot of people can, deal with the hate that comes out comes out of the moment. So when I engage someone who, when I see someone on the street, say, that has a uh, Obama face with a Hitler mustache, whatever you think about Obama, he's, you know obviously connected to the largest regime on the face of the planet. So there is some uh, fascist qualities to anybody in that position of power. But that that inspires such rage in me because they're not making their point. And the only thing they're doing is enraging me. And what that makes me want to do, uh, or the visuals that come into my mind involuntarily, are, are ones of violence. So, great point. So, again, interesting, because I was thinking about this walking over today about the Obama thing. For me personally, I've given up on politicians, because basically they're all corporate whores. I don't really see anyone. So, for me, whether it's this or that, of course, when it comes to women's rights or something like that, you still want to choose this person, because we're the American Taliban now, where we're actually talking about, I mean, this ridiculous stuff that we're seeing, you know, like types of rape. I mean, it's insane, right? It's insane. The Obama thing is very interesting because the thing with the Hitler on Obama's face is, to me, I was like, why does this trigger me? It doesn't bring hatred for me. It really made me uncomfortable, and it's so obvious. It's the racism. It's the total racism. I mean, this guy, whether you love him or hate him, people project all this stuff because he's a black man. So there's a whole level here which we're like, why are we just reacting so strongly, both positive and negative? It's, it's the racism. It's 
you know, you really wouldn't go around doing this. A lot of things that are said are totally unconsciously for most people, but full-on racist comments. So that's a part of it. Now, when I say to you, we have to love people even if we don't like them, I'm not saying you're going to give that person a kiss. And, and rage is actually a good response because if someone's getting hurt, that energy is there. I, because I have a very hot temper, so I'm not some loveist here. But my practice is anytime that hot temper comes up, to be like, am I afraid? Is the little boy afraid? Why am I not feeling safe? What's going to change by this whole thing? I mean, we are at a place right now, this is one thing I see about these times, where thoughts seem to be manifesting really quickly. I can have a thousand explanations for it. None of them are really the explanation. Is it because there's so much information in the system? Is, I definitely see people psychically waking up more. I definitely see things happening quicker. And I see an intensity that's been going on now for a couple of years that's not slowing down. So, again, that can be a very powerful spiritual practice. The question is, what can you really do about it? So are you going to fight fire with fire? Are you going to go up to the guy who's got the picture of a black man with a swastika on it, which already is like so insane, like just the irony of that, you fucking moron. But do you punch this person? What does that solve? Nothing. Do you go to head-to-head with someone like that? No, because that really might not shift something. So the question is, it comes back to us again. What is my reaction? So I might have the same reaction. Immediately in the moment, I check myself. Then it'll be like, Wow, okay, yeah, I'm really pissed also I didn't sleep that well last night. I'm really pissed, but I had this pissy fight with this friend of mine. I'm really pissed, but someone just cut me off and almost ran me over. So I kind of constantly check those emotions, not to be some, like, ooh, flying above everything, but just to put the power back inside of myself. Yeah, because that is the sense that you get from anyone who does violence. The first thing I think that any smart person thinks of is what is that person's personal biography. And and almost invariably, you see the act mirror the amount of disparity or loneliness or, or the amount that they're checked out or delusional. Uh, I was looking at the pictures of the guy who shot the um, co-worker in the Empire State Building. He was a visual artist. You can actually buy uh, decals of his and iron them on your own shirts from the from the web. I almost bought them yesterday. And they're pictures of women in... Uh, badly drawn pictures of women with their asses up um, standing over cars. And they're just cars after cars, fighter jets, women in the pictures, and kind of like really bold, macho statements. And then you see... you see the fantasy life of this guy, and then it's totally, it has nothing to do with his actual life, which is this sort of, he works at the Empire State Building, he has a nine-to-five job, he's fairly stately, quiet, you know. And and so, yeah, I feel like that there is there is always a great back end on on that. You see you see the disparity in, in someone's life. You brought up, um, oh, go ahead. Well, let me just say one thing about that. Because for me, I've always been intrigued with these kinds of people because to me, they are the aspect of ourselves that's disowned. Yeah. The amazing thing is how pretty much every time, if not every time, you hear that, what a quiet person. So that part of it is really amazing. So there's a disconnect right there. I mean, every time with these guys, like, oh, they were so quiet. They might have some kind of outlet where you see the disconnected, dysfunctional fantasy life. In a 12-step program, there's something called HALT. H-A-L-T. And HALT is something that you do so you don't slip into using drugs or drinking your addictive behavior. 
And HALT stands for hunger, anger, loneliness, tired. And the loneliness is the third character in the hunger, anger, loneliness, tired. And there's definitely a piece of that with these people. And again, this goes back to culture. This goes back, there is no culture. The more disconnection there is, the more there's the ability of these things to happen. We've become really isolated. I think it's I think it's a quality of the services of the of the government to actually address these spiritual issues on some level, and, and provide services that that match them. I, I was thinking that it wouldn't be too insane for people who own guns to have to go through a psychological evaluation every every three months. That would be the structure of the government caring for everybody because. My dad, who is a nuclear machinist, has to go get a psychological test every six months because he's in control of the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And if you if you have to have a driver's license, you know you have to be able to see. And I think that if you have a gun, you should have to be mentally sane as well. Well, I actually totally agree with you. So, but here's the problem: there's not enough money for that. You have these very strong lobbies that people don't want to have that kind of control over it. You're absolutely correct. I mean, there's no doubt that you look at Europe and the number of gun violence compared to a country like ours that, you know, everyone's armed. It, it's ridiculous. And this also goes into the whole archetype of our country. So this whole archetype that was out in the West and, the, you know, the Wild West, and people aren't ready to give up the story even though it's killing them. And this is such a metaphor for our lives. And yet I think the other balancing factor in maybe a good way with the idea of the Old West is in direct opposition the amount of puritanical infrastructure that we have. And so and so the mixture of those two elements actually has provided a lot of great things, such as, you know, the, the emancipation of the African-American population in the South. It's a mixture of Old West ideas and a puritanical background pulling together to to provide liberation for people. And I think that, that that's a strong pull. And so, yeah, there's lobbyists and there are strong forces against it. And it does seem impossible to get even the slightest amount of budge from people who staunchly defend the Second Amendment, of which I do on a lot of a lot of levels. I get conflicted. My anger sometimes makes me want to go further into liberalism, and then and then my sense sort of pulls me back from it. I'm sort of stranded in the middle. But I think that 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 I do have hope that that the citizenry of this country is actually a, a really morally strong. Um, with a lot of exceptions, but I think that that we've pioneered the way of of liberation across the world. We can't really we do forget that at times that say the French Revolution and democracy starting in all the countries uh, of Europe and you know well for a while Africa and a lot of places was born out of that. And I think that the, that that character can be resurrected, but we've lost it again. Like what we were talking about at the beginning with these these zombie towns and these corporations, like. It's, it's made us forget that on a certain level. Yes, but it's us again. So the thing that you're talking about, America is amazing that way. The whole pioneer energy, the fact that, you know, the classism that really broke down in this country. I mean, I've, I was raised in Africa and Asia. The level of class, you never got out of it. This country is amazing that way. Never mind that we're at this place where the poor are getting totally screwed over and the middle class is shot. And, you know, so we've actually turned into a third world country. Part of that is when you have this pioneering engineering and this sort of um, puritanical aspect, the shadow gets really huge. So everything you're saying is very true and amazing about this country, but this country also has a huge shadow. We do have 2.3 million people in jail. 
most of which are Hispanic and African American. So there's a lot that's also not right here. I'm not pro or against. I'm not politics against politics. My understanding as someone who's done this work for this long is it has to be a personal thing. Once the personal aspect is aligned, by all means, go and write, go and heal, go and get into politics. But where the system right now, where the system's broken, and from my experience of it, also on a personal level, things have to break so much. People's, we don't really appreciate our level of putting up with bullshit, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's with a job that we hate, whether it's a friendship that's killing us. We have such amazing tolerance to what's killing us. So to me, that's a question again. So it's very easy to go out there with these ideas, but they're never feathered, in my experience, to our personal life. And it's not about perfection. We're deeply flawed human beings. If we accept that, I think it would be easier. Part of the puritanical thing is we can't, we can't really accept that. So then we take these aspects that we haven't accepted in ourselves, project it on others, happens to be in our foreign policy mostly brown and black people, and then we bomb the shit out of them. Yeah. So that, that's sort of like that, but that's going on here and that's going externally. So... Yes, it's, this is not about like America. This is not. This is the world. This is human nature. This is an aspect that we have to really examine and heal. But the healing really starts from within. I really don't see it happen externally. I see a lot of bright people doing bright things externally, but their own lives are internally so misaligned that it really leads to that. So to me, some person sitting somewhere doing whatever they're painting in some village somewhere, because that's their truth, or you writing. To me, these are the liver cells. These are the brain cells of the organism. Where somebody's out there trying to save the world, but it's miserable, it's not really doing much. That's interesting that that the picture that's sort of emerging is, to, to me at least, is, is that that war, that battle that you think is external, that you think it's you versus Bush, that you think it's you versus the Tea Party, that you think it's you versus these people uh, who are voting Republican or worse, or it is actually, that, that starts with you, and it, it can actually only exist that battle within you. It's about you defeating those forces inside of yourself. It really is that. Let me tell you something about this gun thing. So, I come from a pacifist family. My father was for UNICEF for years. Guns were not a thing in my family. I've seen people in wars. I've lived in countries. Or just, I've seen a lot of violence with war. So I was never a gun person. I've been a martial artist my whole life. Never really cared about guns. I saw a picture of Einstein with a shotgun. He was hunting. And it blew my mind because Einstein was one of my heroes. And to see that guy with a shotgun put me in this place of just like trying to understand like what, like how is this possible? So that was something that happened in my 20s. Out of that over the years, again, I'm not a gun nut or anything, but actually I live in the country. I've gone shooting with people. I own guns. I don't make love to them. I don't take them to bed. It's been the scientific study for me of actually going to gun ranges, to places that I would never visit and understand where are these people coming from. So every friend that I go with, they're just like, oh, my God, you're insane. But I actually want to understand people. And when I go... 99% are nuts. Yeah, you have a couple of people who are like, oh, Jesus Christ, this person should be evaluated. They're people who are in the story, in the archetype of the warrior. That's their thing. They're people who totally have fetishes with these things. It's a very interesting study. Again, I always try to, from my own experience, not to go into us and them. 
I mean, I was in this country when Reagan started taking this country piece by piece. I cannot see anything good come out of that. I saw, I worked in city clinics where the fundings were being cut, where people were dying from HIV because this botanical stuff that you're talking about made people. So I've seen the horrors of that. I'm not trying to whitewash this thing. But I realize, again, it's got to go back to me. As one person, we're very limited. How much can we do? That can sound defeatist. Actually, it's very empowering. Because you have to really examine those things. So the us and them thing is very dangerous. I mean, this country, like anywhere else, can go into a civil war. What's a civil war? You project your disowned shadows on someone else and then try to sort it out that way. I mean, look at Israel and Palestine. Whichever side of that thing you believe in or if you see neutral, that's the classic version. These are the same people. They look the same. They act the same. They love their families the same. And look what they're doing to each other. But we're all doing that. So the us and them thing is very tricky, and most people are listening to this podcast most likely are liberals or liberal-leaning, and there's a curse in that level where people actually don't understand that it's the same as the Republicans. Republicans are like us, you, whatever. I don't even put myself in that category anymore because I really don't believe in politics. But when I go into a gun range and hang out with these people, they love their family just as much as I do. They're trying to do the morally the right thing, whatever. And you have nuts on both sides. But as liberals or as people who we think, you know, we are not, we are the same. Hatred's got to be wiped out of our hearts. And that's a personal experience. And we're human. We're animals. We're going to want to kill people when they cut us off. That's an aspect. The question is to go deeper than that. So the us and them thing, I'm a, we have to understand we're all play for the same team. And that same team is the big us. It really is one, Truly. But that sounds so like cute, and anyone's on hallucinogens experiences that meditation, moments of making love. It's all really one. We have to, in our separation, keep acting as if we know that. That's the safest thing, and make room for the fact that we're separated. Make room for the fact that you know breaks my heart. I break up with this woman. I'm gonna cry for a month. It's the way it is. It's an aspect of my humanity. Someone steps on my toe. I'm gonna want to knock him out aspect of my humanity so don't try to be jesus h fucking christ but at the same time don't try to be like you know those bastards those bastards it's all us the environment it's us even if you're like using all organic stuff blah 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 you're still a part of it yeah i think another important point dovetailed on that is that this idea of hatred uh, that you need to get rid of that it's never going to end and that it grows like weeds. It, 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 it's just like rain. It's always going to come up. And, and I think when I was young, I, th- I thought that I would get to this place where I could eradicate that. The, there was this idea in the 90s, and I think in every generation perhaps, that at some point you're going to be above racism or hatred or sexism or um, the violence within you. But it's always going to crop up. I love that point. I love, I love the point you're making. So you said a beautiful thing. You said eradicate. It's about integration. We don't really subscribe to integration much in our culture because we are a culture of eradication. We eradicate disease. We eradicate imperfections. Eradication is how the shadow works. You try to eradicate it, you cut it off, and it comes out somewhere else. It's no different than the weed in your garden. You cut it, and it's going to put out six different heads in different places. We don't really understand integration because it's so much more work. So we actually have to work on integrating these aspects. And a part of it is we don't want to make room for our humanity. I mean, the humanity is imperfection. You know, in Zen teachings back in the day, the the Zen master, 
would come in, let's say, at a table and grab a bunch of food to basically show his greed to everybody else. So he would put his cards on a table. So you're thinking about racism or sexism or these things. If we can just talk about it and put it out, I do just through joking all the time. It makes people very uncomfortable. So, you know, have a foul mouth. And, but part of it is really conscious. And people go like, oh, is that a shtick? Is this, is that? Sure, part of it might be a shtick. Part of it is really like we have that inside of us. I don't want to hide underneath the mask of, oh, this healer guy who has, doesn't have his emotions or this sexual thing. So part of it is if you integrate that into your life, you actually start going like, okay, this is parts of me. I've yet to meet someone who doesn't have these aspects 30 years of working. So once we see them and call them, then we can own them. So once you say you have a shadow, you can own it. When you don't, it's when you're in trouble. I think it is about finding an outlet and finding one that will last for the entirety of your life as well. Because for me, I, I, by the way, love your joking. At first, I I was really... um, I didn't know what to think of it being uh, a white boy from uh, Gear Harbor, Washington. And I was like, oh, it's okay to actually joke like this. It's fine because, you know, we're a very liberal place, but we don't have a lot of, we don't have anyone but like Norwegians and Irish people. Um, so we pay a lot of lip service to it, but it doesn't actually, uh, doesn't actually happen. So but it makes people uncomfortable, right? So when I make racial jokes about myself, yeah. about being a foreigner, being a brown man, it freaks people out. Yeah, it? yeah, but it, it it also pushes, but it also any part of you that was thinking that exactly. it, it outs it into the air. It it outs it into the air. That's but that's your that's that's your very specific way of dealing with it that you that, that will work for the rest of your life. For me, I, you know, I come from an English father, so there's a certain um, amount of Britishness that won't allow me to say my true feelings, yeah. and w- that will always be the case. I, I feel the, uh, there will be some variation, but what I do is right, and people who see me, uh, who know me, and then they read what I write are often very, very shocked because my writing is incredibly graphic, and I don't censor myself at all. I, I, I don't allow myself to put a damper on the more mean situation or the or rather the thing that just reflects the violence or the sexism or the hatred or the racism in my in my mind so that's how i deal with it but see that's really powerful and that's a function of art and talking about your english father when they didn't do that in england they went and bashed the head of every freaking continent when they say the sun never sets yeah. um that's why you can't trust the british because the sun <laughs> never sets on them and i mean that was the whole joke so they have good writers they have amazing writers because the, those are the people like yourself who said no i'm not going to join the army and go bash heads they actually did what you did which is bring the truth out so that's like literally the, george orwell quite, quite literally yeah, all, yeah. all those all those masters were, were doing that so that's the function but again as a writer as a true writer that's your job not to cut that out look at the look at the culture of new agey bullshit right now the new agey bullshit is totally that repressed stuff you can have anything you want you just be a good boy be a good girl you can have it's totally totally the puritanical puritanical thing done on the flip side of now you'll have whatever you want which is the same thing as you're going to go to heaven so that is a really powerful thing you're saying and it takes a tremendous amount of courage you have put your life on a line for it integrity is expensive people don't really seem to appreciate that integrity is expensive, to live with integrity. I mean, when I see your life, how much you've suffered, the way you've, you know, places you've had to live, how hard it's been for your art, but that's why your art, you read one page of it and it's transforming because it is coming from this place of truth. It's the same with someone who's been painting from that place. I mean, 
Not that it's about suffering, but you know what? It might be suffering. We have this idea that, like, you can really live your truth and not suffer. Uh, hasn't been my experience, ever. And I don't really think it's been any, any good artist experience. Because I think people, on relative to your own life, you do suffer a lot. Everyone does. So even the guy who creates Two and a Half Men has an incredible amount of suffering in his life. It's just that he chooses not to include the truth of that in, in what he's telling people. And, and, and I feel like that, that it is about this consciousness shift and this and people's awareness and people not checking out is directly related to that is to becoming aware of those elements inside of themselves i love what you're saying here you know i think about right now as we're talking about this about my work you know one of the real tools in my work is just when people come in just to tell them and this is a step it's a 12-step program it's power or any group therapy is to realize we all go through this process we think that suffering is unique to us we think these disconnections are unique to us. In fact, it's the human experience. And just that knowledge is very freeing to realize that it's not all this like smiley, smiley. Again, it's corporately produced projection out there. And remember, the corporations are us too. That's the psychopath in us. That's a disconnected part of us that wants it to be blah, 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 and think that, oh, it's no problem. You can go to the Antarctic and totally dig for oil, and you can do the shale oil in Canada, and nothing matters, and the disconnection again. So, again, it comes back to us on that level. What you're talking about here, going to the suffering, is the shadow work. Because once you do that, then there's this unbelievable joy. right? So when you're sitting there riding and in your groove, Tom's out of the way. So you're your own, you're actually now in this direct connection with source, which is the ultimate bliss. And people, we generally do not slow down enough. And that bliss is right in our back pocket. That's what buying something does. That's what sex does. That's what acquisition does. It just gets you in touch with this thing that's already you. But we forget that. I think it's something that Jung would, Jung addressed it by saying that uh, people often confuse their ego with their self, and they're different um, because the the self is the thing that is that essential side of you. That when you say you know close your eyes for 20 seconds and breathe and listen to everything, which is called meditation, you'll actually recognize that it's there. But it's hard to see. It's like in the dark. Whenever you've been in the dark and you try to look at an object and you can't quite see it, but when you look slightly away, it, it comes into your periphery and you can see the exact outline of it. And I think that that's what it, people don't, that's what it takes to recognize the self, that same apparatus. And people don't really, I think, have the tools yet to, to, to perceive it. Beautifully, what you're saying, I would add this to it. It's not that we don't have the tools. We've, the tools are ancient. Right. They're archaic. We're so scared of it because it's become so other to us since ancient times. So when you look back when ancient cultures had mushrooms or access to hallucinogens, that was a different experience. Then people got access to alcohol. It became a very different experience. So we went from checking in to checking out. When you look at fermentation of grains and alcohol and you know the majority of violent crimes in prison is actually from alcohol it's not all these other things like crystal meth is there but alcohol is really profound but what are these things these are things that check us out so a big part of this thing is we've become so estranged from ourselves the capital s self not the small self it's not that we don't have the tools we're so scared of it and what is this fear it's fear of being annihilated the fear of death 
is constantly hanging over all of us. And all this consumptive energy at the base root of it, from my understanding, is to deny the fact that we're so transient and it can end at any time. And ironically, you can only taste it by slowing down enough to realize, like, yeah, it's transient, so you can be here. Now, here's, here's this part of it that's so crazy. This fear of death, this anxiety, um, it runs every aspect of us. We're never, never here. That self that you're talking about, it's not even that it's difficult to see. It's screaming out loud. It's just that we're screaming so much louder than it that we never, ever hear it. I mean, we never create empty space. You just need to create a little bit of quiet. People pray. Prayer is talking. It can be effective. It's talking. It's not listening. We never listen. I remember talking to this monk who, you know, had, had a serious practice years and years, you know, decades. He would say to me, you know, I was like, well, you go on these one-year retreats in these caves and what is it like? And he would say, you know, to be honest with you, at the end of that retreat, if I'm actually really quiet 50% of the time, I'm doing a miraculous job. And I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> wow. You know, this is why I tell people, sit 20 minutes a day. This is the most important thing you can do. The yeah, sitting isn't absolutely. to get somewhere. Just listen. Who is this guy? Who is this woman? What is she saying? What is she wanting? We never listen. We're always talking. And I think that process is, is really frightening. I was thinking about one of my first meditation sessions, which was with you, and the amount of stuff that came out of me in that initial session, the amount of imagery that came through that came to me and the amount of both relief and emotion it was overwhelming as I remember when I was when I was 18 and a girlfriend of mine massaged my jaw for the first time and I had been a really tense teenager and it lit up my body with pain because it had just never been attended to before and I think that that's a lot of people's experience or fear of starting meditation is that hesitation to actually finally, finally look over your shoulder. That's so beautiful. That's exactly it. It's, and there's so much anxiety around it. Now, here's just a little healer side note into your jaw. It's very interesting. The jaw is actually connected to the hips. And the hips is all the repressed sexuality. Many times when people get braces or they get teeth work done, they get all kinds of very profound emotional changes, like people wear night guards, and they don't really realize what's going on. What's going on is you're actually releasing all this stuff from your hip, which is really connected to all the repressed stuff as childhood. So that's an interesting insight how everything is connected. That really blew my mind when I started realizing that with people. So, yeah, you're probably sexual deviant, which makes sense with the writing. <laughs> I want to go to the dentist more now. Just because we were talking about it this morning, we were talking about relationships. At least in my life, almost everyone has broken up with each other or they've decided to stay with the person that they're with and, and marry them, sometimes against um, their better judgment. But energetically, with your partners, I don't know what I want to ask. I guess I want to ask something about, like, women. And I want to, given that we were just talking about, you know, the jaw releasing the libido or the jaw releasing your sense of sexuality, I guess maybe something along the lines of, like, the connection between sexuality and everything that we're talking about that the function of it 
seems to be to provide happiness, but it often doesn't. It often com- complicates more things in your life. And so sometimes searching that is is the exact opposite. Uh, I, uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 don't apologize. I, I totally know what you're saying. I mean, even the way you're going about the question is, is just a revelation of how we have this energy around it. <laughs> like, well, what do I ask? <laughs> well, it's because it's confusing because, first of all, you have culture that is so hypersexualized, right? So everything is about sexuality, but sex, I mean, how often actually are you having sex in a relationship, even the most healthy relationship? Like how many hours a day are you actually having sex after the first six months? So it's so interesting, which is this biological drive. Then the advertising world has taken it and tweaked it to sell you things. Then most of us use it in some way to disconnect from ourselves because it's an anxiety reliever. Then there's all this familial stuff in it. And ultimately, what is it really? We sexualize early childhood wounds to survive them because it's the only pleasurable aspect that's in our control. And then later on, this gets transported and projected on the relationships we're on, which is why do we have these types, our fetishes? These are all very early childhood woundings. So the sexuality thing is really pollen is we get attracted to it to go into a deeper place. So some of us get stuck there. Some of us just, we want to have that initial bang, and then we'll go through relationship after relationship. Some of us are scared of it. We don't ever want to open that again because it's too horrific. But relationships really, till you start doing a healing, your, your internal life, is really trying to heal the past and the present moment. So I'll say that again. We're trying to heal the past and the present moment. You take someone like me. My experience of having a mother who had to emotionally take care of at a young age, who was very disturbed emotionally, and I repeated that. I still repeat that. It's it's for like so 32 years. I'm trying to heal the past in the present, so it gets a little bit better sometimes. It gets a little bit worse sometimes. Now these are all the women, regardless of their cultural background, they're the same woman energetically speaking. It's a very specific sexual attraction very specific kind of energetic interaction. But the sex is just the attractive part of the first step. Then we'll go into the rest of it. Most of us aren't clear enough. Even if one person is, the other person isn't just to have sex. We think like we can do that. I actually rarely see that. Because even one person is like, it's, it's a biological need, right? We, we read so much shit into it. If two people could just get together and fuck each other's brains out and walk away and be like, God bless you. Amazing, right? So how, how many people actually do that sober? Never. How many people actually can do that whether they're clear and the other person isn't? How many people are actually hustling and doing a whole shtick? And then when the one person is actually very clear, almost always the other person isn't. So there, there are things that come with sexuality that we don't really want to look at. My shamanic teachers used to talk about when you have sex with one person, you're at, attached to them energetically through the six months. I used to think this is ridiculous. Being a clinician and seeing that is actually really true. So we're desperate of wanting to relate with someone. Sexuality is a part of it. So once you get your rocks off, man or woman, gear straight, and that's awesome. Once you go through that, what are you really looking for? You're looking for a connection. But then that's when the scary stuff comes up. We actually back up. Whoa, 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 I don't want to get close. So that's when people have affairs. That's when people break up. That's when people go into caretaking. That's when people go into victim role. We just start checking out. So the relating part, we're strangers to ourselves. We have to be in relationship with ourselves. It sounds like so simple. I don't meet many people who are in relationship with, my, with themselves. 
I've been working really hard to be in a relationship with myself my whole adult life. It's brutal. It hasn't fared so well for my marriages. It hasn't fared so well for friendships. So the sexuality part is just one aspect of it. That's just the appetizer. But not only would we can't even tolerate the appetizer because we have like some kind of intolerance, like sex intolerance, even though we think we do, we never go past that step. I feel like, and as I've discovered in my own life throughout the years, that it's often used wrong. It's it's always pleasurable and it's always there, but it's the same thing as as eating. Your your body will continue eating food until it gets the exact thing it needs, until it gets the nutrients it needs. But you will continue eating potato chips until you get your vitamin A that you need, and and you won't even know what you're doing because there'll be an automatic system taking over. And I think it's exact same thing with the with the desire for for sex or sexuality or even relationship arrangements. Um, actually, a, a, an ex of mine introduced this term to me which is complementary schismogenesis. And if you want to Google that, you can sound it out in your mind, and it will probably come up and correct you, and then you'll go to the right wiki page. Um, But it's the idea that you do an action that you think will have a result, but by doing that action, it has the opposite result, such as an actor getting a waiting job. The, the very act of doing it prevents the thing that you want to happen. And so I think that that's, that applies to a lot of relationships that I know where somebody wants stability, but they get into it with someone who is based on the previous pattern uh, of, their, of their childhood. So now this is really important with the point you're making here. The part one has to be conscious of is when you say someone's getting into a relationship, which part are we talking about? So one thing I say to people all the time, because it's the conscious part, the unconscious part. I've been with the same woman, basically, different iterations of it over 30 years. Depending how much healing I've done, it's been a little bit different. But my whole thing was like, I want this kind of relationship. So I would go after that. But as you're saying, it wasn't the guy talking to that picked these women. It was the unconscious part that was still dealing with the mother that wasn't available that's trying to heal that mother. So when we say these words, it's very tricky because it's not Tom or Abdi's the unconscious. On a good day, we're 80% unconscious. One of the things that I say over and over is for either one of us, depending on what our wounding is or anyone who's listening, if there was a twin and one of these men or women, Gary Strait, was the wounding that you're attracted to, and one was the same exact person without that wounding, you wouldn't even look at the person who doesn't have the wounding. Why? Because the whole sexual charge on this whole thing is because we sexualize these early woundings. But people always say to me, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm just going to be like really bored with the person that I meet? Hardly. There's going to have to be some charge. But as someone who ate junk food and not actually gets a kick out of having a green juice, it's a process, not an event. You don't go from those potato chips and three hagen pints a night to like having like fresh food, organic. So it's a process. So people right away, the knee-jerk reaction when you say this to people is this thing of like, oh, what, does that mean now I'm not going to ever have a hot sex? It's like, no, you have to learn to develop a taste buds in a different way. But as you're saying, it's so much easier to do the same thing over and over. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage to step back from the whole thing for a bit to reset oneself. None of us really do that. Going back to this relationship thing, I don't see a lot of people in real relationship. 
Once in a while you see a couple, again, Gary Strait, and you're like, wow, these two are like a powerhouse. But the ones that I've seen really weren't doing the normal thing. I see people doing, you know, the marriage thing, the kid thing, you know, it, and it's fine. There's, there's a level of respect. But I'm talking like really connected people. It's a shitload of work. People think it's like you just find that person. It's like it, it's so complicated, and it's very, very difficult until it gets to that place. Now, the question is what are you looking for? We have a romantic idea of what this is. I mean, it goes back to that real key poem of actually creating space for the other person to be in their own space. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Rilke talks about you don't give somebody just a handful of crappy flowers. You give them a bouquet. And that's exactly how you have to give yourself to someone else is that you, you have to arrange yourself and you have to put it in order. It's not for it to look nice, but it's for respect of the other person so, they, so that they know what they're looking at and they know what you're trying to give them as, as well. Uh, yeah, you have to, yeah, you have to tend your own, your own garden before you can actually... But we're so anxious, so we never do that. And also look at the cultural stories. Look at the whole pop culture. It's all about codependence. All music is about codependence. I'll die without you. What have you done? You broke my twilight. I mean, all that stuff is really about this hyper-codependence. So we actually have no models either for really healthy relationships. It's just like healing. Our models of healing are people who are like victims that died for the cause you know it's just all, all this sort of like suffering bit in our unconscious we don't really have models of like being your own power what does that feel like i remember reading this maybe 30 years ago about some woman who had basically having had these addictive personalities with relationships had totally given up relationships for a couple of years and was really happy. And the story, what I was reading wasn't a story, it, it was actually nonfiction, was about this man, and he had met her, and his reaction to her, it was like the first woman he couldn't play his little shtick on, because she was so in herself. And I remember at that time realizing, like, I'm not even close to understanding what this woman's doing, but realizing ultimately, that's really what we have to do. Even if we're in a relationship right now, we have to create some space where we're within ourselves, have that relationship. Don't come into these relationships as a parasite, because that's what we want. We want to suck people dry, whether it's as a caretaker or a care uh, receiver. We're like parasites. We haven't really the courage to be fully, fully in that self, and then from that place. So either we do it in a narcissistic way, which is not healthy, or we do it from this total symbiotic thing, which is not healthy. We don't really understand the middle way, because we have no models for it. Yeah. You were just talking about... Uh you know the narratives that we have to to, to rely on, and um, you know with, with Twilight and and with all the, the What's Twilight, uh, Twilight uh, Robert Pattinson and uh, and Kristen Stewart. I don't follow it. So. He's a uh, vampire, but he doesn't want to bite her, and she wants to be bitten. She gets bitten. They have a child. Fighting ensues. No one dies. It's a cultural phenomenon based upon repression and 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 uh, you know blah blah blah. But but. Uh, This this idea came into my head of the the, the culture imagines the lack of what it of what it thinks it needs, but it often dreams it wrong. In the same way that we dream of our lover wrong, we we think we we notice the lack inside of ourselves, and we think that these qualities in this other person are going to on some level solve it. But we're not really looking at why we're desiring 
the, the woman who won't return our calls or why we're, we, we desire someone who completely dotes on us. Um, and we don't realize how that relationship with that person also energetically affects everything else everything else we do. Something that you, you had said to me was, you know, the, the, your relationship with your lover is your relationship to your work, is your relationship to your city. And, and, and I find that to, to be really, really true. I find that my writing... There's a reason why the word muse and the idea of the muse is still around is because that is an actual, physical, real relationship. When you get inspired by somebody, it will create beautiful things inside of you. And that's that's genuine. But sometimes, especially in my own life, I I feel like I've sought out the, the fiery choice in someone just because it would also inspire that inspire that feeling but i think that that manifests in a lot of people's lives as well right so that's actually amazing but you're actually full of shit because you're not (laughs) because because you're not consciously manifesting that i don't i don't give anyone's conscious mind that kind of power where they're unconscious you actually yourself are amazing that way that you might have at some point made a decision but i guarantee like to make a decision to to pull up the fire but even there Again, this idea of like, okay, so I can suffer and create this art. I can center and create this art. Mm. So again, I forget the name of that 19th century Dutch bastard painter who actually wasn't someone famous that actually started that whole idea that, that as an artist, unless you're suffering, you're not creating true art. I actually don't agree with that. Suffering can be a byproduct of following your truth. But if you're going into suffering to produce healing, art, anything like that, you're doing a shtick. Right. Because, because it's outside in. But... Part of what's happening is we actually are so addicted to that fiery energy. So do you have to write by, you know, drinking nine cups of coffee, smoking two packs, and being up to three? It's a certain type of writing, and me and you both adore writers who did that. But there's also a different kind of writing because you yourself, as someone who gave up cigarettes and gave up a lot of things and is very dedicated, your, your writing still rocks. It's really powerful. So... We can sometimes make that choice in relationship, but the unconscious is so much stronger that it always runs us. I mean, I truly believe this. On a good day, you're 10 to 20% conscious. Yeah. It's 80% the unconscious that runs us. And that's a part of the work. So bringing it back to the beginning is part of the work. We have to become conscious of that. So we talk about zombies and vampires and the Batman movie. So that's the most lame way that as a culture that we can actually project our unconscious material and puke it up. At least in certain cultures, we make masks. We make scary, you know, read a scary story. We do certain things. Now it's all been done for us, but obviously it's not working too well. Yeah. So all these things, all these ugliness or this hyper-violence, all these horrible sexual things, and, you know, once in a while you go to a movie, you're like, this is full-on rape, and that's supposed to be, like, attractive? Or, like, why are we putting these people on? Because that's us. That's all of us. So we don't have ways to really integrate our shadow. We just vomit it out in these art forms, which has been done for a long time, but people aren't making art doing this stuff. Or we vomit it out in different countries and go bomb the shit out of them. This stuff is real. It's not some cute psychological study. This is something that's happening day to day. Now, we can't control the external stuff. All we can control is ourselves. So I say to people, sit a couple of minutes a day. Pick up and write if you like writing. Pick up and draw. You can't draw and you suck like me. Just pick up and make collages. Like, do some kind of artwork. Make friends with this part of the unconscious. See what she or he is saying. Because that's the part that's going to give you the liberation you're looking for. And I would add that the essential part of, of that in relation to art is to not think about it. Right. Is, is that... Uh, 
I saw this Dada exhibit in Scotland, and the, the thing that I walked away with it was that they didn't plan. And I've integrated that into my work, and, I, and I'm happier with the results. And I wish that I had learned that earlier, is that I think a lot of people's block with it is that they think that it's work. But it is the same thing that we're talking about with just quieting down the really loud music so you can hear the really beautiful music that's already playing in the background. It's just, it's not as simple as that because that that in and of itself is a very hard process to get to. But that's literally all that it is. And you will just write down whatever appears to you. I mean, it's in, Dada is one of my favorite movements, being a punk rocker. I mean, those motherfuckers rock. Do you look at Duchamp? Yeah. Look at these cats. The, what were they doing? At, at what time? You know, during the, right with the war? I mean, they were like calling it out. They were literally caught the toilet seat, the bicycle. They were, these pieces were so profound. But what did they do? I mean, people think meditation is sitting on top of a mountain. But meditation is seeing things crystal clear. They saw it crystal clear. They saw the consumption that's coming. They saw the rigidity of the mind that's coming. These cats were seeing this 100 years ago. I mean, it was so profound. True art is that. It's not just art for art's sake. And it's not suffering for suffering's sake. It's getting the clarity. The part that we don't really understand, especially in this culture that's become so consumptive, I truly notice in my bones to be true. It's not an idea for me. Artists are the alveoli. They are the lung cells. They are the brain cells. You need to support the artists in your community because they're actually processing the unconscious for everybody else. Whether you're a writer, whether you're a painter, you're a sculptor, a healer, we're all doing the same thing. We're processing the unconscious at a limit. So it's so interesting how art even has become a commodity where people aren't even experiencing it. So that's a part of our disconnect again. So to tie it back into go like, well, how is it possible a guy comes out with a gun and does these horrific things? There's nobody home. He, there's not a person thinking I'm taking another human life because that person's already taken their own life. Yeah. We can only treat others the way we treated ourselves. You look at all these guys like this guy in Norway and you know, there's no facial expression. These people are already dead. So you can only wipe out 87 children at cold-hearted way of point blank looking at someone's eye. That's some really hardcore brutality because there's nobody home. Yeah. You know, it kills a part of you. I've treated vets for 30 years in this country. You kill a part of yourself when you kill someone else. All this metaphoric stuff is real. You cannot take another human life without actually damaging. It's very... The part that gets you to heal that is very, very difficult. Same with people who have been in prison or people in self-defense have killed someone. You act Because it is killing yourself. This is not metaphoric. You do to others, you do to yourself. That's literal. So, again, comes back to we're not in relationship with ourselves. All these issues, want to solve the environment, be in relationship with yourself. You want to figure out how to be in a relationship, be in relationship with yourself. D.T. Suzuki had this great line. He used to say, the most important thing is to realize what's the most important thing. <laughs> and, you know, is bringing relationship with self. So I think we've covered a lot. We've covered uh, violence, sexuality, madness, uh, shootings, zombies, zombies fast food. Um, we covered a little bit of vampires. Yeah. I explained to you what uh, Twilight was. Thank you. Um, I think we covered a lot of ground, uh, and, uh, and a lot of interesting things uh, came up that, of course, I'll be chewing on for the next day and you know, weeks and, and months. Um, so thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. I mean, you're such a bright young man, and I love your work. And um, it's really beautiful questions. I'm really happy you're out there doing what you're doing because it's really important. I really, in my bones, know that what you do 
is really crucial for all of us. So thanks for the courage of sticking to your guns and doing that. And, you know, I love you.